The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Sprocky and I am the host of Always Another Way podcast. I have a master's in professional counseling and I am the Ippy award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life and Nasty Divorce at Kids Eye View. I write positive divorce advice for the HuffPost and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. This podcast speaks to out-of-the-box thinkers and it's for those who hear the call of hope and Always Another Way. And if you're very rigid and set in your beliefs, this is probably not your cup of tea. However, you should note, taste can and do change. And I just want to thank everyone again who listens to this podcast and shares this podcast. Please do not forget to subscribe on iTunes or any of your podcast apps. And be sure to rate and give a review if it pleases you. And um, I'm super excited about today. And we're going to be talking about music in a way maybe that you don't know. And, um, you know, music has been around for forever in all sorts of different ways. And I know, and kind of preparing for this show, started thinking about um, how music has been in my life. And maybe as I'm talking, you might want to think back to, you know, the first time you really heard music. Was it... Um, somebody singing it to you when you were a little kid? And then when did those sing songs get into your own interests? And I had a, um, a little portable um, record player. You know, it was like in a box that you could open up. And I had all these little 45s that were obviously probably my mom's that she gave me. And I remember being like five or six and it was uh, the Kingsman's Louie Louie. And I would play it and I would just like move my head around like this, like shake it up and down and dance around and had the best time put me in a good mood. And then from then on, just like all sorts of different songs of what they did. And I remember um, a flashback to another time I was 18 years old and I did something really not good and got in trouble. Um, I was working at a retail store and um, the song by the Indigo Girls, it was called Closer to Fine, um, was playing. And if you just kind of listen to the words, you know, it's, you know, one part, it's like, it's only life after all. And it, it really like calmed me down. I was in like a high stress mode, like just pacing, waiting for, you know, the situation to resolve. And, um, and that song single-handedly like just took me out of that funk and just relaxed my over anxious mind to like, it's just life, it's just life, relax. So um, let me tell you about my guest. Bill Protzman is a man on a mission to raise awareness of the power of music as self-care. He's a successful IT entrepreneur who holds a magna cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing, which brings music to audiences in non-traditional ways. 
In 2011, he launched Music Care Inc., which is a for-purpose corporation that teaches practical ways music can be used for self-care. His work was recognized by the National Council for Behavioral Health with an award of excellence in 2014, which is essentially the behavioral health equivalent of winning an Oscar. So way to go, Bill. His volunteer work has included board positions with Guitars for Vets and the San Diego Veterans Coalition. He's been instrumental in connecting thousands of military service members and veterans with honor tickets to the largest healing music organization in this town, the San Diego Symphony. And you can find his first book on Amazon.com, More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization. So welcome to the show, Bill. Hey, Marina. You just pushed one of my happy buttons. Closer to Fine has been in my space for more than 10 years now. Uh, Oh my gosh, you know what that means, right? Yes, I I, I love that tune. (laughs) So you said that and I just started weeping. I'm like, oh no, I got to go on camera in about 30 seconds. Oh man, yeah, (laughs) yes. I love that Closer to Fine song. It's when it first came up, but that was, maybe I was like, uh, oh yeah, like 27 years ago. (laughs) Oh, I know. I don't even want to think about what was going on when I when my therapist actually put that song in my space uh-huh. and um, I've, you know, I've kind of known that the Indigo girls are out there, but oh my gosh, the words. Yeah. It's just life. We're doing what it does. Yeah. You know? and here we are in it. Yeah. So let's, let's bring, bring everybody sort of up to speed. So you started like with music, like playing music very young. And so I figured you could just kind of introduce people to a little bit about like where you came from with music and sort of build us up to kind of closer to getting to music care. Of course. So like you, my first technology was the record player. Uh (laughs) and I was spinning discs, you know, mostly classical music back then because my mom was also my first piano teacher. And when you learn to play the piano, you back in the day, you kind of learned it through the lens of classical music. Yes. So um, I was doing all that, of course, not liking it very much. She started me when I was three. And even though I still remember those songs that I played when I was three years old, uh, it took a while before I started to enjoy it. And the reason I started to enjoy it was because a movie called The Sting came out. And I had discovered ragtime and and everybody all of a sudden wanted to hear ragtime. And there I was as a fifth grade piano player, you know, with this classical background playing ragtime. It was on pop radio. I mean, it was like on KFRC in San Diego back in the day, right? Uh Playing this 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 top hits top 40s radio station playing ragtime so i immediately discovered that music has this amazing potential for connecting people yeah and um, that kind of awareness has stayed with me all my life even to the place where i've recognized the this the power of music in my own behavioral health care and along the way i also realized that you don't need to be a licensed board certified fill in the blank you don't need to have a bunch of credentials after your name you don't even need an advanced education because we respond, human beings, we respond to music at a fundamental level that once you understand, you can you can engage with. It's a superpower that we all have and uh, we don't need you know ac- external medication to be able to unlock that beautiful chemistry that's inside us. And, yeah. and music does that. So I started a for purpose, as you say, uh, corporation to teach this to people. And the overarching thing there is because our world is as crazy as it is now to help people understand and use evidence-based holistic self-care tools. If music is your thing, cool. If meditation and yoga is your thing, cool. If um, EFT, the tapping thing is your thing, do that. But there's so much that we can do for ourselves when we're not on the couch with a therapist or at the experts, you know, place of business being experted by them. 
we've got to have something we can do. You know, when I'm not at the piano teacher's studio, I've got to go home and practice. And music is such an easy and contagious practice. So I, I'm just thrilled to be able to bring that to people and raise this awareness of how much we need our own self-care these days. Yeah. And so when did you in this, so you've always been playing music, doing different things. When did you realize more than just like sheer like pleasure and an enjoyment, like, oh, I like this. And just on that surface level, that it was a little bit something more than that. The universe has been sending me reminders uh, throughout my entire sort of professional career at the piano. Mm -hmm. And those reminders often take the form of someone who comes up to you and in their eyes, you can see that something is going on and they're trying to put words around that. And often the words sound like, thank you so much for playing that piece of music. I really needed to hear it. <sighs> and that's been kind of an overarching uh, result or comment or whatever on, on the music that I play, whether I'm playing on the stage or playing at Nordstrom, which was great fun or wherever I go. Um, it's really remarkable. And it's not so much the music that I play, because I play all kinds of things, and I can never predict, but often it's like we started the show today. A piece of music will just surface for no reason. Yeah. And there it is. And and you get this wonderful connection to your to your authentic self as a result of that little reminder. And and the science is so great because we know now, which musicians have known for a while, but science now knows that if you remember a song or a, a rhythm or whatever it is, then your physiological, emotional, mental, spiritual response to that song that you remember is present immediately without having to hear the whole thing. So nice. the moment that you said closer to fine, the tears came, right? But yeah. they're, they're happy tears, like happy and sad at the same time, right? Yeah. And that's so cool. And what else like kind of in science wise, do you want to drop on the, uh, on the good music stuff? Oh man, so this science is so fascinating because musicians just do it, right? We just, we just play music yeah, and we know what's going on. We can see it in the audience. We feel it in ourselves and in cultures where music is a part of the culture, indigenous cultures where music is a part of the daily activities of the tribe. Um, it's, it's there for these same reasons that science is now giving us quote evidence for. So <laughs> you, you see it all around you in ways that you wish people would take more notice about. Uh, we know that music is great in pre-primary and primary education because it helps develop the brain in ways that nothing else does. And yet what's happening in our schools? You know, music is disappearing from those school programs when it's most needed. Yeah. We, we know that people listening to music need half the pain meds of people who aren't listening to music, half. That's a big number in the clinical world. Yeah, you know, it is. Happy, <laughs> clinical world is happy with 12% improvement, right? But 50%? So um, we know that music releases stress and, and people are starting to get in touch with that, you know, why, why it is that music can calm you in a way that goes back thousands of years. We're, we're now in the Western world. We know that we can do this with music. So that there's awareness around this, but there's still this sort of, well, if I can take a pain med, I'll get the immediate result. And what's happened as a result of this way of thinking and just sort of dropping in a, a palliative whenever we need it, mm -hmm. is that music and the power of it have been relegated to the concert stage or to the coffee shop where everybody is talking and not paying attention. And our awareness of the power of music is has become more about, oh, that's nice for entertainment. But when it comes to its effect on me, not so conscious. You know, we like to dance, so we put on music that makes us move. 
and there's some ways that we have a, a way on top of it, but most of the time it's like, oh, I don't like how I'm feeling, so I play some music to change my mood. Yeah. You know, okay, there's a problem with that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Instead of looking at music as the way that we can practice authenticity, or the way that we can practice kindness, or the way that we can practice integrity, these are feelings. They're not intellectual choices that we make. We allow gratitude. You know, we allow integrity. And it, it's an interesting practice to soundtrack your integrity to music, for example. Yeah. But you can soundtrack your awareness of so many things that are forward-focused to this amazing uh, medicine. It, it's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a drug. Yeah. It, it actually affects us just the way certain drugs that we take, like SSRIs. You can inhibit serotonin with music, too. And you can spark up dopamine if that's your thing with music, too. And we need to get back in the lane where we understand exactly how powerful sound and rhythm are instead of just going, oh, it's a cool vibration, right? Yeah. And, and it is. Yeah. But there's so much more behind that. So um, that's why and how and music care and all the rest to fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. That's why we're on this journey right now to create awareness of the power of music for self-care. Yeah, and let's dive into that. And the one thing I wanted to say as you were talking about, um, like the music when you're somewhere and people are talking and that just drives me nuts. Yeah. When I go yeah. to concerts and I just really want to hear the musicians and there's just drunk people like talking the whole time. I'm like, no, 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 no. I came to see these people live and I just want to hear their music. Not all you're talking above it, but that's a side story of my own stuff. But um, but if people, if, like you say, just getting into that and then... Um, and then you you made us you talked about something that I figured we could slide into talking about emotions, what music that it evokes more than just that. And you have on your blog it's about um, stuffing unstuff your emotions. That kind of maybe yeah. we could seg a little bit into that uh, and and then go into the use of music care. Yeah. So the, our our wonderful human progression and evolution, whatever, got us to a point somewhere along the way in America where stuffing our emotions was a good thing. Don't be too angry, Billy. <clears throat> don't be too scared, Billy. That's, you know, mm -hmm. don't be afraid. It's just a scary movie. Yeah. Don't cry. <laughs> don't cry. Right. And in my family, being too happy was also frowned on. Ah. Like we could be happy and tell jokes and stuff, but ecstatic exuberance was not really tolerated. You know, it was too big. Uh -huh. So where did this whole thing about stuffing emotions come from? Where did this judgment around fear and anger come from? It's just like how we operate. And psychologically, of course, it's not great. Yeah. So um, I had to learn that the hard way, as many people do. But I'm beginning to learn it. And, and one of the wonderful things about music is that you can go to anger and you can go to fear and those emotions that we don't quote, like. If you take your judgment off of them, they're just emotions. Mm-hmm. And if you look at them as just emotions, they have information for you and they have power for you and they can animate you in amazing good ways. The moment you lose your, your, um, your distraction, I guess, of having to put them away because they're not quote good. Yeah. So as a musician, my job is big emotion. I have to get it from somewhere and I have to play it so that you feel it. If I don't do that, um, I, I'm no good. I know it's kind of a weird thing, but the, the biggest response that audiences have is to their connection with the feelings and the music. If you get that, whether you're listening to EDM or Chopin, if you get the connection to the emotions, you're going to be satisfied with the music. 
That's so, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, to take our judgment off of stuff is the first step. And, and when, the, when it comes to psychology, of course, you want to make sure that you can, quote, feel your feelings. Yeah. For guys, that's harder because we're taught to be sort of stoic. You know, we're taught to have the poker face and do all that. And there's a place for that, too. But you can have a much better poker face if you have command of your full emotional range. If you can speak fluently in all emotions, you're in a much better place to be able to put on the poker face if you need it. Because you can feel those emotions like authentically instead of going, oh, that's anger. I'm not going to, I can't go there now. I'm in this meeting. Right. You can say, oh my gosh, whatever that person just said really pissed me off. And, and really feel the anger that's in that and then go, okay, so how can I use this? And you see what's happened there? Yeah. The anger came up and the curiosity is available to take the energy of that anger to a new place. Yeah. Ask an insightful question or whatever it takes to make the connection continue rather than just coming across the table. And, and that I think is a place where human beings in general need some guidance. For sure. And, and music is a great way of practicing anger, if you will, or practicing fear, whatever's triggering you. If, if, if there's a trigger that you don't want, put it to music and become familiar with what that's doing to you. Yeah. It's not, it's not there's no requirement to go out there and, and act on it, but just become familiar with the feeling. It's just a feeling. And once it's fully realized in you, like all other feelings, it's going to pass and leave room for the next one. And so like live, let's say somebody was doing that. So like, okay, I'm a little bit angry. How am I, how can I use this music Yeah. to take me to acknowledge that anger and work through it? Take me away. Yeah. And we know um, feelings like anger and fear are kind of upregulating feelings and feelings that are sad are sort of downregulating feelings. And if you can understand that contrast, that's a great way in because there are a lot of up regulators that we enjoy. You know, we love to dance when the, when EDM is going and the adrenaline's pumping and all that, that's great. It's that same adrenaline that is part of the, uh, the cocktail of stuff that is in the emotion fear and in the emotion anger. So there are good aspects to this chemical cocktail that happens when we trigger it and provided that you give yourself the time. And by the way, so, Sound triggers us in the lizard brain, mm -hmm. way down at the brainstem, and it takes a long time for us to think about it up in the cerebral cortex. A hundred times longer, actually, if you measure it. It's in milliseconds, but it takes that much longer. The lizard brain's already responded. It's done what it's going to do. We're primed and ready for whatever it is by the time we recognize what it was. And uh -huh. that gap is an amazing gap where if you do the practice, you can sort of short circuit the fight, flight, freeze, feed, or mate, uh, five famous five Fs. Uh -huh. You can short circuit that and, in, and do something intelligent with it, you know, if you want to put your intelligence into it. So it's kind of, not, it's not emotional intelligence so much as it is emotional allowing, emotional release. Yeah, and I like that because that really makes more sense too. That's uh, uh, how we work. I mean, yeah, that's how we feel. Yeah. The emotional uh, allowing. And then, um, and so how does, how does music care work? So for the so people that want to get as a business, yeah. uh, we work one-on-one, -on -one, um, which, which means that we sit down together and, and do classes. So I, I'm a teacher rather than any kind of a therapist, not a music therapist. There, therapists will work with you, therapeutic relationship, all that, but I'm more of an educator, like a trainer, personal yeah. coach. 
Um, and that can happen one-on-one and one on class. Of course, we can do it online. And I've had demand, so I had to build a course and you can get it online. But for me, it's bigger than just learning something because there's this amazing component of the other, of spirituality. And the same music that makes you scared also opens you to consciousness, to oneness, to God, whatever the fill in the blankness yeah. you know, of what science has, hasn't yet explained. Let's just call all of that spirituality. Music opens the door to self-actualization and transcendence and esteem and all those wonderful things we want when we're done mucking around with you know, the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy and make sure that we have comfort and food and things like that. So music is the invitation to all of that. Yes. So let's, let's, let's get into that too. And when you're sitting with homeless people and you yeah. talk about that kind of stuff, homeless people really get it. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you've been kicked as far down as a homeless person has, you're open to anything. Mm -hmm. And coming from the place of having nothing, having all the wheels come off, yeah, you need food, you need shelter, but you need inspiration, something that gives you meaning and purpose and connection and gets you back in the lane with, with energy that isn't available from the, you know, the, the, where you get your food or where you get your clothes or where you sleep at night, because those are all transient things. But this thing, this music thing, that's incredibly you, incredibly personal, incredibly authentic. And so I find that people who are most at risk, people in recovery, veterans, have this wonderful openness to the potential that music has, unlike many of the rest of us who go to a concert. I've been at symphony concerts. People are asleep. Yeah. I mean, they're not aware, but the music is working on them, whether or not they know it, right? And maybe they're getting the best sleep of their life, Yeah, you know, listening to this music. And we're never going to know. But who cares? The same music you know, that works on people in the ICU and lowers their need for pain meds when they're just basically passive is always working on people in any concert to do whatever and you're going to get that result kind of whether or not you know it it's yeah. going to happen to you isn't that cool that is just i mean it's super 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 amazing and then um and then let's talk about also like some of the different populations that you've you've helped with this yeah and things that go so i know homeless people and i have such hope going? yeah um it, it's hard to be in this lane of working with something that's so fundamental to us. We're resonators, right? Uh -huh. We resonate for sound and rhythm. And, and then not be able to see the effects. You can't ignore the effects of sound and rhythm. And when you're working with somebody and you can see in their face that something has changed, it's like that person that came up and said, thank you for playing that song. Mm -hmm. They don't know what's happened, but you can see how it's kind of enliven them. It's softening. It's opening. It's like, oh, wow, this. And that moment is just, it's so precious. Yeah. It, it's one to live for. So the people, of course, most open to that are the people most at risk because they're also most aware of how empty everything looks. Yeah. And anything that comes to fill that emptiness is a beautiful thing. It's more difficult with a room full of CEOs, for example, because <laughs> Roomful of CEOs kind of know what's going on and they're, and they're in the lane and they know what works for them. And to say to, to say to a CEO who's successful, are you happy? That takes some guts. Oh yeah. Because if the, if the response is authentic, it's usually no. Uh -huh. And the way to happiness is not through more stuff or more business or it, it, those are nice effects. They're symptoms of one's internal connection to the real if you've got that oh man the sky's the limit but if you don't have that forget about happiness 
it, you're never going to you're going to chase it, but you're never going to reach it. And music gives you a way, even if you're at the top of your game, where there's more. And that more is is the stuff that really gives you satisfaction and contentment. Yeah, and even just thinking about that in like a three to five minute song, like what just all that can just do in such a short period of time too. Yes, or even if you just remember it. Yeah, even I mean, if you it happens just, instantly. Yeah, and I, I thought of another one about people that probably didn't. This is also back in the college time of not knowing like where songs can, I was thinking about this, come in for words. I had, um, I had, um, started college late and so they had like a winter rush for sororities and uh, I already had my first quarter there and a party to my grades went down a little bit and you need like better grades for sorority so I had my like heart set on this one sorority who I went through and I didn't get in because I didn't have the grades and I was you know first world problems but I was super crushed like crying sad I wanted to be in the sorority I wasn't in it and I sniff sniff and I go to my neighbor's house I'm like I didn't get in this house and they said hold on I got something for you they put on the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was just like, and went through the tears like, I wanted to be a whatever, a pie-fi. And then, okay. And then by the end of the song, just felt a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it, it released the, well, no, I'm, I'm going to say it a different way because mm -hmm. I think what really happened was you found your belonging. Ah. You know? And, and I've often thought that I belong in this or that, whatever it is. I've been working for this company. I worked for IBM for a while. I thought I was going to belong there. It wasn't yeah. the right place for me. And I was very disappointed when, in, in my case, I had to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, you had the great blessing of <laughs> not being chosen for the sorority you wanted. But often what we want isn't the thing, right? It, it, we think it is. Yeah. And uh, you can't always get what you want. Is sort of like the Buddhist saying, all life is sorrowful. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. It doesn't mean your life is over. It just means that you have come to a deeper appreciation of some of the, quote, negative emotions, which I really don't like using that word. But you've come to understand that life is contrast, mm -hmm. right? And, and often our desire for something contrasts with what we really need and in a way that, that you can actually use. Like if you're bouncing down the guardrails along a street, you know when you're near the guardrail because the car's going to hit it, and you know it, it, it's going to give you information. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and and jumping the guardrail is probably not a great idea, right? But if what you want is on the other side of the guardrails, sometimes if you're like me, you bang your head against the guardrail until you get through, only to discover that what you wanted, you know, wasn't there. It it it, it turned out to be an empty promise or whatever. Yeah. And you know, if you're listening to this, it's great to have desires and all of that. And I'm I'm not saying don't because goals are important. They pull. But I want to make sure that the goals also speak to authenticity. Yeah. Uh, here, here's an example of that. It's very difficult to be an authentic person if what motivates you to lead your company is greed. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, greedy people can be authentic too, but it's not a best practice. The, the best practice that comes closer to the way that human beings actually are is something like collaboration and working together. And the business research on this supports that, that companies that work together with an appreciation for each other do better than companies that try to squash their competition and, you know, like do the old school stuff that was all about, um, you know, me first and, oh, and that yeah. kind of thinking. And then that breeds, I think, a toxic environment too, which is also no good. Not so great. Yeah. Nobody likes toxic environments. <laughs> but you can affect them. Yes. Right? 
you can affect them. And often, um, so I, I happened, I mentioned Nordstrom, but I happened to be playing there during the time where Nordstrom was changing fundamentally. Yeah. And it really destroyed the culture inside the organization and inside the one store that I was most familiar with, I saw that happening in real time. Oh, wow. But I could still play around and, you know, create joy in that environment and, and tweak people by playing an intentional wrong note once in a while, just to see them look up and go, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, I try, try to get people out of their space. So even in uh -huh, a place cool. where things look grim, uh -huh. you know, or where you're worried about your job, there's still this potential for remaining connected. And, and engaged and allowing your authentic authenticity to come up. And that really helps when the situation is dire or even, you know, potentially dire. Yeah, to be just... able to say, yeah, this is me, this is Bill. I, I'm really here today, you know. I, <laughs> I'm closer to fine. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I, I have that one on repeat and uh, there's another one It's called um, Feel All Right. It's by this band called Poolside and they call themselves like yeah. day, daytime disco. It's like I'm feeling all right. I can't sing, but but they're they're feeling all oh, right. Doing great. And it's just you know it's just that feel all right. And that that's another that's another good one I like. Um, and then you also had I saw on your blog the Silver Bullet playlist. The Silver Bullet playlist. Tell us about that. Well, so like everybody else, I got started soundtracking my life when we could do that. You know, MP3.com and whatever. It's like, oh, I can make a playlist. I love that soundtrack you your know? life. <laughs> what, and and isn't, that, isn't that great? So I realized at one point that I had all this music soundtracking my life, but I needed to sort of break it down because there were times in my life where I needed to feel sad and then I needed to feel happy. I needed to feel scared. It was like I had these needs mm -hmm. that I wanted a specific song for. And I do have specific single songs for different things when I need them. But it occurred to me at one point, I forget when, that the human experience of music, if you're going to a concert, starts out with sort of like an introduction. And then the music builds up to some kind of a climax about two thirds of the way through the program. And then it, it completes in some way. Either it, it drops back from the climax with a big ballad and then rises to the end, or it keeps on going, you know, and the climax is the end of the concert. But the satisfying experience involved a sort of a curve where like a wave would come up and break. And you can do that with four songs. Often it happens in a single song. But if you have four songs together that take you through an intentional experience by introducing it, building it, climaxing it, and then releasing it, hmm. that's an amazingly powerful tool. Yeah. And, uh, and I think four songs could be the magic number. I don't know for sure. Like I said, one song can often do it once you become aware of how this works. Uh, you play with your music and you discover that inside every single song, you'll get this emotional curve. So um, teaching a Silver Bullet playlist simply means that you take your top 40 songs or whatever they are, decide what, what your trigger that you want to address is with your Silver Bullet playlist, and then pick music that gives you a specific experience of that um, trigger emotionally. So emotions guide us. It's easy to do it once you've, once you've studied music. You can do it on an analytical basis too, but we're talking about getting the feelings. Everybody feels. Yeah. So you can identify four songs that give you that wonderful emotional ride, put them into a silver bullet playlist. And when you're triggered for that, like road rage is a good trigger for me. Mm -hmm. I've got a playlist for that. Nice. And you listen to it, right? So you, you practice it, practice it. You become familiar with what the emotional content of that short playlist is doing for you. And then whenever you need it, we have this amazing superpower that will recall that music and give us the emotional ride. I love it. 
and bingo, end of road rage. Yeah. Until the next time somebody cuts me off. Right. Because right? you know, these aren't over and done. They're, they're, they happen right. all the time in life. And our responsibility for that is to feel those emotions fully, like we've talked about, and let them go. Yeah, because they don't last for forever. Nobody's ever stuck in one emotion. Right? Yeah. Just and in this, you process your emotions. Wait a minute. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> System's going to do that. Yeah. If you allow them. That's right. That's right. And so what do you think, um, you know, because you've been involved in music from the beginning, if you could sort of like, um, what do you think music has given you over all these years? Well, and in ways that maybe it changed you that if you hadn't had it, it wouldn't. Oh, gosh. I can't imagine my life without music, Marina, but I, I'm definitely alive because of it. It's, it saved my life on more than one occasion, kept me from killing myself. That's what I mean. By allowing the big emotions to come up and, and wash through, my, the need that I felt to, to stop breathing mm -hmm. disappeared. Wow. And I confront that regularly. It comes up. I mean, I, I think like post-traumatic stress is now destigmatized. I think we're getting to a place in society where we're, we're going to be able to destigmatize suicide and see it as a symptom yeah, well, rather than, you know, the end of the road and, and be able to intervene sooner with the feelings that take us to the brink. Yeah, which is super important because it is the number two leading cause of death for children yes. <laughs> age 10 to like... 23 and then probably I think it's like number five on adults and then just in the military the 22 yeah. a day plus probably more in that with high-risk activities um, that it's for real <laughs> people are yeah, in it's, a, it's real. a lot of pain that they that they that they can't seem you know at the time obviously their brain is sending them a message you know that this is forever can't escape it but um, but just knowing that you've you've were able to use music to that was it just like instinctual that you just thought like hey i'm in this place i'm, I'm just going to play something or how did that kind of come about well the night that i that i remember most poignantly um, i was stuck in many ways and and i was done i mean i just sort of objectively said well i reached this particular challenge and i've done all these other things and it just feels like this might be the right moment to just say goodbye and and i put on the music and let it play for no other reason i think than just to hear the song that I love one more time, you know? Mm -hmm. And in that process, um, what I preach <laughs> really came home to me. Mm -hmm. And it really enlivened me. And more importantly than that, it put me back in the game. It sparked up some new meaning, a new purpose. It clarified some things that needed clarifying. And I have to say now that had it not been for that experience, of course, yeah, I probably wouldn't be talking to you here today, but it's not about whether or not you choose to live or die. What it's about is what you do in that moment. Yeah. You know, do you choose closer to fine? And you don't have to choose in advance. Remember, there's that, that separation between receiving the emotions in the lizard brain. I'm oversimplifying for those of you who are in neuroscience, don't hate me, right? <laughs> but between receiving the emotions and thinking about what to do, yeah. there's a gap. And what I was able to do with the music what I was able to do, what the music did for me was it allowed me to mind the gap and, you know, to be yeah. in the gap without having to do anything about it. And then to be present, you know, once I stopped crying, to be present for the, the spark that I didn't know was in there, the gold at the bottom of the dark well, you know, um, and, and you don't set a goal for that. 
You don't say, okay, I'm suicidal. I'm going to dive into the dark well and find the gold at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> you say, I'm suicidal. Oh, no, what, now what? Yeah. And, if, and hold that place and mind yourself in that place with music is a beautiful thing to let those incredibly deep emotions come up and give you the information that you need. I love that. Or whatever the next thing is. And finding that other way out. Yeah. yeah, finding that other way out. And um, what else did I want to uh, ask you? Oh, is there any stories that you want to share about just, you know, anybody, you don't have to use names, but uh, uh, something that was just really inspiring that you've seen from people that you've worked oh, with? Oh, golly, there's so many. So, so many. I think one of the most inspiring things in in recent memory for me we have in San Diego this huge military population. In San Diego County, there are three million people, and one million of them are connected to the military in some way. And that is, you know, that's gainful employment for people. Uh, for those who are serving, it's pledging your life. It's the longest war we've ever been in mm -hmm. now. So multiple generations are going off to the war on terror. So there's this, this sort of tragic content to how many people in my county are involved with the military in some way. And then you put politics on top of that. It just becomes this angsty thing. Mm -hmm. And I got to sit down a few years ago with a conductor of the San Diego Symphony. And um, I, I asked him because our, the Padres are our military team, you know, they've, they've adopted the military. Uh, I, I asked him, what does the San Diego Symphony do for military members and their families and veterans? And he said, well, you know, I really don't know. I, I think we have discount tickets. And long story short, uh, when we met again, he said, Bill, we're going to give tickets to the military. Oh. I'm like, okay, this is so cool. And of course I said, I can help. I know some people in the military. Uh -huh. <laughs> There's a few of them out there, right? Uh -huh. So we put this program together. And as you mentioned, that several thousand, over 5,000 people now have seen a, a symphony concert who otherwise wouldn't be able to. Nice. I mean, Literally, you don't have that kind of bandwidth when you're on active duty. It's, it's enough to be able to you know, keep a place and put groceries on the table. And for many veterans, too, who would not be able to afford it, even a discounted ticket, they're able to go. So, uh, and not everybody's people, exposed to that even. You and, know? And, yeah, and people have said, you know, yeah. people in their 60s have said, I've never been to a symphony concert before. Thank you. Right. And the thing, this, the end of the story is that the conductor obviously opened up this opportunity there's been just an ongoing, amazing response of people in email, of people who have just had hip replacement surgery, which is which is incredible anymore, mm -hmm. that that want to be at the concert, you know, like two days after their surgery, after they're released, and people who come in with high blood pressure and leave and go, gosh, I've, I've never felt so good. Wow. You know, and, and this the email that's come in from people who participate in this program, it just... It, it's so touching, right? Because these are people who are leading normal lives, doing what they do. Um, in many cases, having survived combat is, is a real gift. It changes your life, you know, if, yeah. you, if you're able to survive being blown up and, and they come. And it, it's doing something for them, like those people who say, thank you for playing that song. I really needed to hear it. They know they needed this, yeah. this symphonic music, people, you know. It's not something that we go to right away, but in Western culture, classical music has the, the densest capability of healing of any other music that's out there. 
all of that incredible tension and release that's packed into classical music is what we need. That, that's the, the kind of vibration that we need to be able to do work physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And there's science on that. There's better music out there, but I don't think we'd appreciate it here in the West because the, the music that you imagine perhaps whirling dervishes dancing mm -hmm. to. Yeah. And I've heard some of this incredible Persian music. Oh my gosh. So it's even more densely packed with tension and release than Western classical music is. So it's it's got more healing potential, which is crazy because if you heard it or you know, some the average bear heard it, they go, Oh, what's that? I can't I can't listen to that. So um, yay, San Diego Symphony, and I call them the biggest healing music organization in town because they are, they're huge. And like all symphonies, um, sustaining that organization is, it, it's expensive. Yeah. It's very difficult to keep the classical music tradition alive. But when you hear the reports, people saying, you know, lowered blood pressure that really sticks and, and just this want to be in the room because they know something's there for them that's good. That's that's the indication that it's working. That's for sure. But, and now that we are getting close to time, let's just talk about where everybody can find you if they want to get involved with music care for themselves. And they can be anywhere, right? They can be anywhere, anywhere in the world. Anywhere it, in the it's world. so great to hear that stories from all over the world of people who are using music for their own care. Yeah. Just It lights me up. So I help that by uh, maintaining a website called quest.com musiccare.net. And that's the old fashioned quest, Q-U-E-S-T, like quest for the Holy Grail. <laughs> because I believe there's a spiritual component, right? So why not include ceremony in, as part of the practice? Nice. Uh, that's what we do in concerts. It's, you know, a, a well-designed concert is a ceremony. So uh, quest.musiccare.net, there's free stuff. And it's just part of the movement. Um, I Eventually I connect with people in a way that's authentic and you want to go deeper, but that's not the point. The point is to enliven the movement that is directed toward taking better care of ourselves. You know, when we're not with the experts, experts are expensive. Yeah, so are. <laughs> we need to have care and the tools are out there. So there's guidance there. As you mentioned, there's plenty of articles. I don't know, I'm, I'm all over the place, but if you start with quest.musiccare.net, then you'll know how to spell my name and you can Google that and wander through the pages and pages of stuff that's out there. I did it the other day and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really catching on. Yes. <laughs> so find me there. And of course, it'll be all be in the show notes. Um, and I'm the kind of person who answers email. I don't believe in blasting out email lists. I think there's something wrong if you try to market an authentic thing using today's modern marketing. That's a disconnect for me. It, does, it doesn't work. Yeah. So staying authentic is an important part of this. And uh, if you want to sign on and see stuff, you'll see the outreach to the people who collect symphony tickets and come. And you'll see other stuff that's in those newsletters. But uh, I'm really not an online marketer. I'm, I'm much more real than that. So, yeah, you'll find me. Very cool. So we will put that in the show notes. I love music. And I'm so glad that you are on this show to talk about music care. And for everybody listening, you know that there is always another way. <laughs>